Oh, hello. Welcome to Haunted Picture Palace Season 2, Episode 2. Uh, I'm, I'm Ben. I'm Amelia. Yes. And today we are talking about Hammer Films' 1967 adaptation of Quatermass and the Pit. Boop, boop. Yep. Directed by Roy Ward Baker and adapted by Nigel Neal from his own television script from eight years previously. Hmm. Ooh, are we starting from the beginning? Uh, it's traditional to I start guess. from the beginning. Yes. Although we should uh, we should put the theme in really at some point. <coughs> I suppose ordinarily we'd start with a content warning, but I don't think we. The only thing that anybody might be offended with is Miss Judd, who does not need to be in this film. <laughs> But if you, it means if you're a scaredy cat and you've listened to the pod and yes. thought, oh, it sounds an interesting film, but it'll be too frightening for me. This one uh, won't be that. Weirdly, I, I do have a thing about the um, certification of this that I'm going oh, to mention now. Why mm-hmm. not? While we start. Because it's a, it's a 12 now on uh, on home video. But it, um, Why? It's a good question, actually. A 12? It's a 12, yeah. I mean, what was the witch? It's a 15. That's quite a leap. It is. Perhaps it hasn't been certified for a little while. <laughs> it is worth finding out. I'm going to pause and find out. Yeah. Yes, it's currently a 12 certificate. I, I but do we not, don't know why. do not know why. There doesn't seem to be much in it, other than that there isn't much of a gap. As in, you can't go much tamer than a, a 12, apart from a PG, and perhaps there's a couple of things that are just... Well, there's a 12A now. Yes, so but it would, I would be... Im- I would assume it would be a 12 It would be a 12A a. In, in cinema now, because that doesn't exist in home media mm. certification, and it probably just hasn't had a cinema run in a while. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Gremlins is more gruesome than this film. What's Gremlins rated at? Fuck, I think it's a PG. Because if it is, that's interesting. But also, it does um, it does sort of play into what happened in 1967 when it was classified, because it was classified originally as an X certificate. It's a 12. It's a 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Never mind. But I'm working today from the BFI Film Classics about the film uh, by Kim Newman. It's good to sort of get my sources in early as well before we start. Yep. And uh, he quotes the board examiner, Frank Crofts in 1967 who said this combines archaeology science black magic and space fiction and is even sillier than most of this type of story hammer expect an x and that is the right category and then newman goes on to say given that the little in this film hadn't been done on television in 1959 it's likely the bbfc bestowed an x mostly because the studio wanted one and then it cites dalek's invasion earth 2150 ad which is a Doctor Who spin-off film from the previous year yeah. uh, had almost as much horror and that was classified U. So they could possibly have wow. got a, t- a lighter one if they'd wanted it but it, I suppose it was part of the thing that it's a Hammer horror film because yeah. they were known for their horror films by this point. We were a decade into their horror making career so they didn't right. want it to seem too wussy. Although there are a few points we will come to later where the opportunity was clearly there for them to be a little bit more gory yeah. and show a little bit more but they opted not to. I do want to add that Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark mm-hmm. has somebody's entire face melting off on oh, camera yeah. and is a PG. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, yes, I think you're probably right. They were pushing initially for the X to get the teens in and to get the people talking about it and to be like, oh, this is proper horror. Yeah. But over the years, yeah, nobody's really fought for quite must to be 
to be pushed back down to a U. Yeah. Um, because you you wouldn't necessarily show it to a to a normal ten year old. No, it's it's not it's not a film for children. I suppose you know it. Yeah. It um, totally could be. I would have loved it as a kid. But I suppose yeah yeah. It's still. It might. <laughs> At worst, it wouldn't fully engage them, and then suddenly somebody has no face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, you were saying. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, you weren't. No, so, I wasn't. <laughs> um, we open on pretty much the most British-looking Bobby we could find, with an instant skull reveal. It's the fact. So and yes, then look at the Nashers. Bit. Yes. Let's get a load of those Nashers, yeah. We're digging out the London Underground. We're digging an extension to a station. Yes, to a place called Hobbs End, which I looked up like a fool not living in London. I didn't know if Hobbs End was real or not. And apparently it's been, it's not a real place. It's been used by, uh, very recently by London Underground on model railway training simulators by the West Ashfield Underground Training Facility. That's a great fact. So there's your fact for the day from me. And I had a little note here just to... Uh, do you have anything else to say about Hobbs End for a second with, without Not, going too far ahead? No, exactly. No. Yeah. I just wanted to say that, again, because fashion. Please bring back the magenta dress and a disgusting red vinyl visor oh, yeah, combo. The shiny, shiny. Because that's real. That's real and that would work now. And I love pink and red together. It's so disgusting. So, like, that one was a, a good one, but... Brace yourselves, everyone, because I tell you what, I tell you who's failed us. It's wardrobe designer Rosemary Burrows. I feel like we could send her letters for how poorly she dressed everybody else in this film. That one lady, I guess, brought her clothes from home. It's very plausible. I mean, yeah, she's, that's not a character, is it? That's just no, an extra. It's just so. a lady walking by, yeah. and she stole it for me. <laughs> I suppose what it does, what that does do is situate it in 19... 19- Sixty-seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, as I said, it's an adaptation of the Quatermass television series, the third one of that. And it's also the third film. They made two films, mm-hmm. uh, also in the fifties. But this, they were all quite some time ago. This was the last one. So the television series was in nineteen fifty-nine, and the script was finalised and finished in nineteen sixty-four. Mm. It just took three years to get made. But this is the one that that has the cult following. Yes, it's yeah. the only one in colour. For one right. thing, and it comes out at this time in the late sixties when this kind of thing is hot. Yes. Um, but there's a couple. Of, I'll come back to a couple of points later on where you sort of almost have to imagine this playing out in a fifties context. I'll come back to that when it when it pops up. Well, I wonder if that's part of the reason everyone's dressed so appallingly and in such <laughs> terrible colours because actually this is the first time this team are working with colour. Could be, although I suspect that there wasn't much sort of carryover from mm, the earlier yeah, films. It'd be that it's most of them would be Hammer stalwarts. Yes. I know that a few of the cast do turn up in, uh, have turned up in other you know Hammer yeah. films. It's just, they tend to reappear. Also, some incredible glasses. Yeah. <laughs> On the uh, one of the reporters, looking very much like something off of TikTok now, like properly very fashion now. Anyway. A big influence um, on the kids. So, why are they there? Why are they there? To talk to Dr. Roney. Talk to Dr. Roney. Dr. Roney is a... What is his specialism, would we say? He's a scientist. He is a scientist. It seems like he works with evolutionary biology as well. That makes sense, yes. But he's 
a historian first, scientist after. He's basically the white coat in the situation. Yes. So he's he's the authority on whatever we're talking about. And he's a really he's a really good actor, actually. He really embodies the role, unless that's just his normal his <laughs> normal way. It's gone out of my head. He's top build. Um, you know, yeah, but he didn't uh, do anything else. No, but I mean, in the um, in, in the film, you know, you might expect the actor playing Quatermass to get top billy. Yeah, that's true. But uh, top build is James Donald as Doctor Rooney. Yes, um, who... and he mm. is he plays it like the archetypal mathematician, very big feet that are a little bit too big for the body when they walk, kind of thing. That kind of lolloping creature. He is a sort of cross between. Oh yeah, Michael York and Michael Palin. Yes. Mm. In body language and in look and in style. And he's explaining something about the findings. So basically, obviously, skeletons or skulls have been found. And he's explaining to a crowd of journalists, much to the chagrin of all the authorities, because he shouldn't be explaining it to them, that this is probably aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. It could be aliens. It could mean that life has been on Earth from five million years ago before we thought it had and yes all this much stuff. longer than than we thought and uh, he's excited about this because it'll that well he's excited and they're annoyed because a discovery like that a archaeological discovery will stop all of the work yes on the underground and then clink clink somebody finds metal yes and we bring out the unexploded bomb sign the a board to put out Yes, a clearly, a clearly well-used unexploded bomb. And actually, this is probably the first point at which I say consider the 1950s genesis of this, because uh, yeah. unexploded bombs were being found all the time in London in the sort of decade after the war. And I mean, there were still, you know, there were still bomb sites and they were still turning up in the 60s, but it would certainly be a much more common site in 59 than 67. Totally. Well, I, I literally put that it's in the keep calm and carry on typeface. You know, right, yes, exactly. You know. mm. So yes, it's very war-related. Yes. Looks like a big one. Maybe a Satan? Yes. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Stuff that in there. <laughs> well, you know, it's a bit of what we call, call it foreshadowing in the trade, <laughs> don't we? You know, a bit of foreshadowing there from Nigel Neal. Yes, and Roney also then doubts the word of the bomb disposal fella there, right? Which yeah. Which is how, how we bring in our protagonists a bit later on. We should have done a content warning for the name Roney. Roney. Yeah. You don't like it? It's just a bit corona, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We're just saying Corona, Corona, Corona all the, all the time. Everyone in the army has an interesting face. You can take that out of context if you like, but in this film specifically, they seem to have cast <laughs> a lot of very fascinatingly faced and chiselled and moulded men. Yes, uh, they're all character actors, I think, which right. helps. With the exception, of course, of, of Julian Glover as um, Breen, Colonel Breen. Yes who is an actor who's been in everything. He's been in Game of Thrones, he's a Bond villain, uh, he's been in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's done everything, he's still still working. Tell me his name again. Uh, Julian, Glover. Julian Glover. Who was he in Game of Thrones? I I mean, I couldn't tell you, but, I know, but... He's an Imperial officer in Star Wars. He's one of the clergy. Also, here's one for you. He's in Indiana Jones. <laughs> Somewhere. Told you he was in everything. I know. He's one of the Grand Maesters. Right. Lovely. Yes, but, but, but yeah, I suppose he hasn't been called in yet. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes, but we are introduced to Quatermass at this point. Yes, who is the sort of franchise figure, if that makes sense to say. He would, he's mm. the known quantity for audiences at this point. Yeah. Not in America, uh, which is why it was renamed 
uh, five million years to Earth for the American market. The the film was. The film was mm. indeed yes, but uh, as just in case you, thankfully the film does this for you. Just in case you're not up to speed with who he is, he's a rocket scientist, runs the British Experimental Rocket Group, and <laughs> he's being told by a civil servant with a marvelous face that the the defence opportunities and capabilities of the rocket group rocket program are enormous, and uh, the government want to harness this and. Uh, in order to facilitate this, he's being saddled with um, Julian Glover's Colonel Breen. Yes. Uh, neither of them are terribly happy about it. And this is our first sight of two, well, I say the two leads, I mean Dr. Roney is also a lead, but two two characters will be yeah. very important in the film. Well, the opposing forces. Indeed. Mm. Good point. I've written, and again, this is for a very specific few members of the audience at home, but I've written that Quatermass is essentially completely the emperor card in tarot ah. he's gray-haired he knows his stuff he's got the piercing blue eyes thing he doesn't have to posture but he keeps being pushed to posture by lots of people trying to do the macho thing he doesn't need to do the yeah. macho thing he's just knowledgeable and aware and he does i'm not gonna lie feel a lot like doctor who yes no i can see that I can yeah. see that he's a sort of scientist authority figure. Yeah. Because I've written as well, it's, uh, it's Andrea Keir, who's a, a wonderful actor, actually, turned up in a couple of other Hammer things in previous Scottish. years. Uh, Scottish. Mm. As is uh, the fellow playing Dr. Roney as well, actually. Oh. A couple of Scots. Uh, but he, I said there's a bit of a manse about him. He has the sort of the look of a minister's son. There's a, <laughs> there's a, yeah. there's a little bit of the pulpit in his speechifying and, and his yeah. moral stance. He's disgusted at the idea of his rocketry being perverted for use by the military my favorite line was i've never had a career only work that's really nice which is super super clergy actually yeah yeah, no, yeah. you're not wrong but he's a he's a driven he is a driven man this for me this little bit here is where the film has to do a little bit of hand wavy business to get him into the plot because yes. because yeah the other films were explicitly concerned with spacefaring and rocketry and mm -hmm. you know things like whereas here um it makes sense that colonel breen is called in because in during the war because breen is old enough to have served yep. in the second world war he was a, a bomb expert a bomb disposal fella so he's called down to hobbs end and quatermass decides to come along out of cussedness <laughs> and because he doesn't like him yes uh, <laughs> well he doesn't think he can handle it or he can't doesn't think he can yeah yeah Exactly, and he's wearing a very disreputable hat, his Quatermass. I mentioned the hat here. You love the hat, yeah. I love the hat. Well, it feels like a calculated insult to Breen, who is very military Polished. cut and dried and pot. Mm. Exactly. The fake skulls. <laughs> right? They're not yeah. fake in the film, but the, the skulls yeah. that have been created, the prop skulls, are beautifully alien looking. They're just, they're not the ludicrous, bulbous headed, tiny nosed greys or green men okay, or any of yes. that these are quite clearly descended and recognizable as humanoid yes but, but also not quite right but not right and i think that's a nice a nice addition if you're going to make your sci-fi horror um, yeah. and this one does straddle the line quite heavily but i think it's things like that that push it to the horror side more than the science yeah no that makes sense yeah one thing i do wonder is when did roni have enough time to make his mock-up of the ape man that he seems to just sort of knock out overnight you remember the maybe one? it was another one that miss judd just bloody well actually a woman of many talents i'm sure no talents <laughs> no so here's miss judd 
Who plays Miss Judd? That's Barbara Shelley, uh, who was a l- long-time associate of Hammer Studios yeah. and was uh, known as a little bit of a, a scream queen, if you'd like. She's in, uh, yeah. she's in, I think it's Scars of Dracula. She's in one of the... <laughs> Or is it? It might be Taste the Blood of Dracula. She's in one of the lesser Hammer Dracula films, and she's in Cat Girl, which you know is exactly as you would imagine. Incredible. I mean, fine. Hundred and four credits as an actor. She's you know had a decent career, mm-hmm. but she's not used terribly well here. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> she's in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. My apologies. And the Gorgon in nineteen sixty four. So she's served her time in horror films. But you asked me when we finished watching it, you said, what job? What is Miss Judd's job? Because throughout this film, she is a filer. She probably made the damn models in her spare time. (laughs) She is a follow around and do nothing. She does staring like a moron for no reason. It's 1967. I'm not expecting strong character development for a lesser female part. But she's a very striking lady. Like She's clearly beautiful of the time. They had every opportunity to, like, envelop her in this storyline, even if it was just that maybe she was trying to get through to them all all along or, you know, or she had an idea and maybe only Quatermass would listen to her and then they had to take it to the colonel together. But no, mostly she's following them around, holding exactly the right file at the right time (laughs) for no reason, dressed like an old lady's handbag. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, not flattering the clothes that they put her in. No, um, and it does continue to be in bigger and bigger capital letters every time she appears, mainly because you could have had so much fun with a film like this, and they had a little bit of fun with the men, that, you know, they've put quite a mass in quite a nice old school to show he's old-fashioned. Yes. They've put him in the waistcoat and proper little dicky bow, Yeah. and they have dressed Dr. Roney like, or Professor Roney, Dr. Roney. Dr. Roney, like a cartoon of a professor. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, but they're both different sort of scientist archetypes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, um, but, but there are smaller characters who do pop up and just add a little bit of colour and, you know, don't have much to do, but every, all the other sort of small characters advance the plot in a little bit with meet a few of them. Yes. And they're, they're quite nicely sketched in not a lot of time. And I don't think it's Barbara Shelley's fault. I don't think she does a bad no, job no, with no. what she's given. She's <laughs> just given very, very thin gruel. We're not angry with you, Barbara. It's not you. Um, it's a, again, in, in Newman's book, he quotes an, another critic who says that the part of Miss Judd could have been played by a 60-year-old woman. There's nothing that requires it to be Barbara Shelley. I suppose, except that... Contract? Well, contract, but also for a little bit of colour in that otherwise our other sort of three leads, if you'd like, are men certainly the wrong side of of 30. Yeah. Um, I don't know how old Julian Glover is at this point, how old Breen is supposed to be, but uh, Quatermass is, is not an old, old man, but... No, but yeah. You know, three middle-aged men. So I think they just wanted a little bit of balance in there. She did have a a bit of a bigger part in the serial that it's adapted from. That was six half-hour parts, so around three right. hours. So a few subplots have been trimmed out. Yeah. I, I think she had a, a love affair, but the her romantic partner character has been trimmed out of, the, of this film. And a, a few of the other characters that were in the earlier uh, version of it have had their 
their lines effectively, their plot functions assigned to her, mm-hmm. which is why she appears to do several different things. Is because she's taking up the parts of three different people over a six-week show. Well, one of the things that she does is unnecessarily go into a haunted house. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, he should get sent upstairs because yeah. the, the air downstairs is, is really bad, says Dr. Dusty? Rooney. It's very dusty. Question mark? Yeah. Well, occasionally the male characters treat her extremely condescendingly and patronisingly, but then only sometimes. But only sometimes because sometimes that's she's the only one that will do. I don't understand it. But, you know, she's come away from watching some men just washing a bar. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's the thing, I suppose. Well, I suppose, well it's weird because... Especially at this stage, it could very well be a bomb. So, yeah. so it could be rather dangerous down there. But that's not the. Nobody seems to be worried about her being in danger no. at any point. <laughs> no, they just don't want her pretty little lungs breathing in all that, all that nasty dead guy dirt. But we are introduced here to the idea that the houses upstairs have been deserted for some time because they're trying to find out whether any bombs were reported as landing here. Yeah, and they're yeah. chatting to the sweatiest policeman on earth who, like, I love him. <laughs> I love how sweaty he gets. He starts just by being a bit nervy and then, I don't know, the crew come in and spray his face because by the end oh, he is dripping with sweat and terrified and desperate to get out of this house. But he is, like, the bluffest, most Enid Blyton policeman Absolutely. you could imagine. rosy-cheeked, you know? yeah. In fact, I think he might be the one from the beginning. I think Could he be. might the mo- be the most British Bobby in the world. That yeah. makes sense, yeah. Um, our attention is drawn to the fact that the road that the station is on is called Hobbs Lane, which used to be Hobbs Lane. <laughs> yes, doesn't work on audio, that one. No, uh, it's uh, Hobbs Lane, H-O-B-B-S, and it used to be H-O-B apostrophe S, as in belonging to Hobb, and that's Miss Judd in her many jobs, <laughs> says that... Hob was a sort of nickname for the devil back in the day. Indeed. Which is nice. That's the second reference to Satan. Yeah, yeah. The policeman graphically shows us that this place is haunted. Yeah. Right? It's, um, yeah, there's something not right about this this place. Dr. Roney and Quatermass have such a nice on-screen relationship. Like, they are genuinely believably two scientists in different fields that respect each other and Mm. are both passionate about what they know um so they're always touching each other in some way it's quite nice whenever they talk one's touching an arm one's close to the other it's just a nice um it's just a friendship dynamic worth mentioning no it's really nicely done and and they respect each other's authority and right to be there as well so when they're digging out the one of the skulls they find in the sort of inlet pipe of the bomb or, you know, the mm-hmm. capsule, whatever it is. And, and Breen is quite annoyed that this civilian is poking around. But Quatermass sticks up for him and yeah. says, you know, and then they have, uh, Quatermass and Roni have this conversation about the skull that survived the impact yes. of the thing coming in. And, and it's not spelled out here yet, but the way those two actors play it, you can see that they're thinking about the implications of the fact that when that skull went in there, the capsule was already there because yes. it wouldn't have survived. And it's the scientists who work that out and they get a quite a nice rapport very quickly. Well, it's also quite nice saying, is it of this earth? Yeah. You know, so yes. immediately assuming that this is alien stuff. He's comfortable with that because he's a rocket scientist and he's yeah. been to space and, you know. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Rocket scientists, they know about they aliens. They know about aliens and space and stuff and, yeah. <laughs> um, this kind of ship thing, so as more of it's been been being cleared while they have this nice conversation we come back to it it does look like a beetle um not the car oh, the, the good bug point, good point um 
and some seriously like I feel like sometimes when I watch films Tim Burton has been glued to this stuff as a little kid a lot of the tech that they use in this film for digging up and poking and prodding Mm -hmm. it all looks like Tim Burton props it all looks (laughs) like an intro to Edward Scissorhands you know like all these different inventions and strange tools it's a very specific safety gear Right. That's in use. Yeah. I don't know if you notice. It's very almost steampunky, no. looks kind of cobbled together. I assume that's because we didn't have the budget to get a load of industrial, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, safety gear in. But no, it was really interesting seeing how everything's got all the bolts showing and it's quite, yeah, it feels like yeah. it's happening in steam. The thing that my dad remembers about this film, if, you've, yeah. if you were to phone up my dad and say quit mess on the pit a bit late now yeah, yeah. but if you were yeah <laughs> he's not dead <laughs> oh yeah no, at night we're it's recording this at, at night. night but the thing that he remembers is the generator at the top of the stairs from the underground station has got a big spinning <laughs> thing on the end of it yeah. like a prop shaft i think it is uh sticking out of the end of it with no guard on it whatsoever and he said it always sticks in his mind that because it looks incredibly dangerous and they'd never allow it Right. Uh, these days. <laughs> and I suppose that's a, the reason I mentioned it is a distillation of that sort of <laughs> um, nuts and bolts machinery thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Go on. How did they get the flame to not burn that metal? I did try and find out. And I, I, nobody has, as far as I can see, nobody's mentioned it. I did some very, very terrible science thoughts <laughs> yeah i did some terrible science thoughts where i wondered if it was the lowest flame on a bunsen burner but with a wick that changes the color of the flame oh so yeah so rather than it being heat that's making it blue yes it's something burning in the yeah know, that would that would make sense yeah but yeah. that's plausible yeah yeah, I don't know. I wasn't able to find out. Mm. I am sorry. I realise that part of the this is what we're supposed to be doing is, is like elucidating these moments in the film for you. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> it's actually a really good. It's one of the. It's well, one yeah. of the really good effects in this film. And there, because there are, they do exist, and it's important to remember that <laughs> when we come to some of the later ones. Yeah. Quatermass has a wonderful worried face. Yeah. Yeah. And there appears to be a symbol carved into the inside of the ship oh yes they describe it as a pentacle which is interesting because i guess it could be like it has kind of but also sort of nothing to do with the number five or a pentacle (laughs) so that's exciting um but it's it's actually um, a sacred geometry symbol in sacred geometry it's most closely related to i think they've made a symbol they've made a symbol that looks like sacred geometry it's called the flower of life or the seed of life, and it's supposed to be where all the seeds of creation are oh, from and stored. So they've done it on purpose. That's an interesting uh, yeah. thought, yeah. Um, but also it's a six-petaled flower in the centre, which has nothing to do with pentacles. But I, I, get, why they've, I get why they've done it, you know. Because yeah. all I have from Newman is that he points out correctly that it looks nothing like a pentacle. <laughs> but it is apparently carried over from the BBC 1959 serial. It's the same symbol yeah. they use, so they they just copied. You know, no, no criticism. They just copied it. It did fine. It serves, and it does look occulty and weird. Yeah, well, I mean, he did say a cabalistic pentacle. Yes. That's so, like, true. he's even mentioning Kabbalah and he's mentioning ancient magic and stuff. 
Which is the only time that stuff's ever brought up. Yeah. But I think it just goes hand in hand with some of the talk of archetypes later. Mm -hmm. So they talk about like archetypal devil sightings and archetypal hauntings as all being part of the same thing and yeah. evil generally. And I think that ancient magic has been shoved in yeah. with evil oh, yes. uh, yeah. for, for the purposes of this yeah. weird film. But you have to sort of keep an eye on as well because the scale of the influence of this capsule keeps growing. Yes. Subtly, you don't notice it. So at the moment we're talking about the houses above being haunted, presumably by it in some way, and that will expand later. But what we get from here is Breen still thinks it's a bomb, right? But what yes. we know about it so far is it's not metallic. Magnets don't stick to it. Yeah. You can't cut through it. It's harder than diamond, I checked, which is a great line. <laughs> and it's covered in, well, it's, it's got Kabbalistic symbols on it, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, Quatermass points out that this is the perfect rocket technology and there's no way the Germans built this in 1945 and then forgot about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, this is clearly not a bomb. Uh. <laughs> well, also somewhere between then and now, Miss Judd, in one of her millions of guises, mm -hmm has stumbled across the file that says oh, yes. the weird Long happenings and the sightings of various little goblin-type creatures. So when we hear a scream from the distance and we go to join the workmen, one of them is freaking out, saying that he's seen little kind of hideous dwarf ghosts walk through the wall. Yes, I've written down he has a terrible attack of the hams. Nice. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it's a nice detail that's not made much of that it sort of gives you weird frostbite burns as well. It's not hot, but it, yes. uh, you can't touch it. You can't touch this thing. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Because, <laughs> um, there are, yeah, there are people standing around leaning on it. But, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's when you try to get in. I that think it's one sense. of the defence things. Yes. And there's one really nice detail that isn't necessarily driving the plot, and sorry if it derails what we're talking about, but the adverts behind them on this they've they've just built or they're in the process of building this tube station but there are adverts up behind them ah well presumably they're in the process of extending this tube station yes. so yeah. it's not like it's never been open to the public before this is right. a this is a tube station that's being worked on yeah rather than an entirely new tube station one of the adverts because i was trying to spot what they were saying ah. the only one i could really make out was just choose british coffee in block capitals i was like fine yeah actually sure. that, i knew it was an advert How and now i want coffee <laughs> but yes so she miss judd gets on a i don't know kind of staring fit about oh hideous dwarf i read that somewhere oh, yes right and because it was in the accounts that yeah. people had these sightings of hideous dwarfs but in my notes that translates as why is miss judd in this film but at least she has perfect seventies sugared almond nails. <laughs> well, it's good that it's good that you found something. Yeah, they're stunning. I'm sporting them right now. It's a look. But I suppose this is also one of those points at which they made a decision to not go for. I mean, it is a horror film, I think, but that it would seem like a, a very easy decision to show the hideous dwarf here. Oh yeah. But we but we never get to see that. Uh, they've decided that. They just go with a close-up of his horrified face. Yeah. Rather than showing us the horror for ourselves. This place is long notorious for weird happenings, says someone. Mm. Oh, yes, because they go... One of my favourite bits mm -hmm. is that they go to Westminster Abbey, the library there. There's a, there's a sort of classical 
old fella, old curate fella. Oh, yes. Who gets this big Latin scroll. And they're going back further in time. Yes. And tracing, you know, more and more of these of, of these happenings around this place. And what I really like about that is he's, when he's translating from the Latin, he nips back over the pages he's translating into English because the word order in Latin yeah. isn't the same as in English. It's a thing that I really like so much that I'm mentioning it here because it so rarely happens in a film. They read it like they're reading Braille. You know, it, yeah. often. Yeah. You know, things like The Ninth Gate, where... Blimey. Oh, is that right? Could be. What happens in The Ninth Gate? Johnny Depp as a book dealer. Ninth Gate, Johnny Depp. He... Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. Again, <laughs> what is wrong with me? Featuring terrible book dealer Johnny Depp. Um, just a whole world of problematic people in one film. And, uh, yeah, he just whacks out a bunch of Latin and a bunch of stuff. And it's literally, like, following along with his finger. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I could definitely read Latin. But, no, I noted that scene as well. I didn't write it down. But I noted that scene as well because Quatermass just wanders off while the guy's talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is another reason that... Um... <laughs> Miss Judd is there because he's got other things to yeah, do. Yeah, because he's like, I'm going to leave you here not paying attention and just kind of looking vaguely <laughs> yeah. at the scenery and I'll head away. And the guy, who is clearly actually quite a quite good actor, like he's clearly dedicated to what's happening, the academic bloke, sorry, reading the scroll, looks up like, guys, <laughs> I was in the middle of it. Like, where are you going? <laughs> you know, he bothers to stay in character to be like, come here. Let me read this Latin to you. But what does the Latin say? I didn't note that um, particularly. The Latin is speaking about devils and about dodgy happenings at, at Hobbs End and Hobbs Land and Hobbs yep. Lane. And that they come down... It, it was a, roughly chariots of the gods. They come down. Right. You know, they, yes. they, they visit... Um, yes, Chariots of the Gods. I looked up, after we talked about Chariots of the Gods today, I looked up when it was published. Yeah. 1968, so the year after this. But it means that it's, it was very right. much in the zeitgeist, zeitgeist yeah. and, and it was happening at the time this idea was in... Von Daniken? Was, yes, yes. Von Daniken. Yeah. It's interesting. Can recommend. Oh. Yeah. From my youth, when I thought everything was a conspiracy. Uh, the, the old fella translating the Latin is the only actor carried over from the television adaptation of this is a completely different cast except for him although he's not playing the same role he played the vicar in the previous mm. version so still an ecclesiastical role <laughs> i've written have you suffered an injury at work and i don't know why like the adverts there must have been an injury somebody must have been injured is it the fella because i think it's soon after this we get that jack the lad fella with his very we very do. powerful drill and he says are you insured i'm insured it's good to be insured <laughs> yeah i really really like the workman and i've put comic relief workman which is a bit kind of cynical no, no, he but is. he is great the drills won't work they just make it worse I've written. <laughs> that's nice <laughs> oh dear my notes for this one vibrated the puke out of breen oh Discuss. yes yeah yeah um, yes because we get, we get the drill in and um it makes everybody contort their faces in really quite an unpleasant way well sort of edge of comical ways i think yeah yeah i think the only way they could have improved it would be to use like a leaf blower to the face oh yeah you yeah know, and really got right. in there That's but it. actually it's supposed to be that this this drill will cut through anything this drill is amazing it's like a material stronger than diamond mm. and it needed a, a layman to operate it is what they were saying like somebody yeah. who's not an intellectual and needed an actual laborer so this guy comes in who's like apples and pears <laughs> <laughs> uh, the poshest cockney you'll meet 
and yeah i've not written down his name i've just called him harry flowers you know from um <laughs> from performance it's just like oh all right Gav. yeah <laughs> i'm <exactly>. a workman <laughs> yeah i mean you actually sound like not fielding <laughs> yeah fair enough but yeah oh, what i mean is this fella is a, a real salt of the earth jack the lad kind of fella yeah. i suppose crucially he doesn't seem the type to be bothered by stories about goblins or ghosties or it's true but they also like needed that. somebody in there that wasn't a bloody intellectual because everybody else is a scientist they are all sharp yeah. brilliant minds and you needed someone in there because the policeman was busy cacking his kegs, to be... He's not going to go back down there after that, is <laughs> no. it? He's going to find something, going to chase after criminals where it's safer. Yeah, but then we need someone that's like a relatable content moment as yes. well. And also, it's genuinely a bit of comic relief. Yeah. Because everything up to that point has been very furrowed brow and there might be aliens and all this, you know. Mm. But the drills don't work, and this mega drill doesn't touch the sides it does make the whole thing shake and i don't think it's the vibration of the drill shaking it i think it's meant to be that this is part of its defense mechanism is that it just shakes it's not even made of mark and obviously that's going to freak um sladden his name is sladden Sladden, i've remembered there you go it's going to creep sladden out but it does make army boy breen throw up a bit and then a wild hole appears yeah that is not made by their drill. It's very clearly like it's been shaken open, but it's a really perfect hole as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it it is eerie. It sort of reminded me of something from maybe Alien, like when the acid burns through. Right. Yes. Yeah, no. It is like it's melted or it's, yeah. There's there there are a couple of points at which it's hinted that there's something very organic about this capsule. Yeah. And this is one of them, I think. Yeah. Sexy seventies crystal room. I'm in love with. I would do a whole room up like that. So it's essentially like a pod containing these dead bugs, dead alien bugs. Yep. Roni's in there like an Egyptologist or an explorer in one of those, might as well be in the rounded hat and cargo shorts with a big butterfly neck. He's extremely excited about it, but of course he is. Yeah. Like, there's no way he wouldn't be. Breen, at this point, is disgust. Yeah. He's disgusted, and then he's angry. Yeah, he Um, doesn't look well at all. No, uh, he's showing himself to be rather inflexible um, when it comes to this (laughs) stuff. Well, mm, I don't know. I feel like he... He was so resistant to the idea that this might be anything but Germans. Yeah. seeing it be anything but germans is revolting to him and then on top of that this could be in an a bigger danger to the general population so i feel like he's weirdly the reaction i understand plus roni and quatermass and sladden these are all civilians as well yeah and that riles him up but i suppose you're right like he's not a cartoon villain he's given a little bit more uh, than that, well, I really, really like his interaction with Sladden when Sladden's talking about that secret job that he did. Have you ever drilled in a bank vault? <laughs> I drilled in a bank vault. It was all legal. It was all hush hush. And Breen said, oh, "It's a good job you don't talk about it." Which is a re- it's a funny line. It's yeah. a genuinely little jokey moment. Well, know? I don't actually see. I mean, this is controversial, maybe, but I don't see Breen as the baddie in this film. Ah, okay. I see the aliens as the threat, as the baddie. That's true. Yeah. I see Breen as the voice of the military that turns up in every single alien film because mm-hmm. everybody that's lived in Western society for the last X amount of years knows that it's the first bloody place we would go. <laughs> it's like, get the guns, because yeah. it's danger. So I do see him as a really nice authority that's necessary. Otherwise, you've got a bunch of creative brains just doing a load of nonsense yes. and touching things they shouldn't. Back to this pod, though, Mm -hmm. Um, this kind of purple bonkers pod. 
the glass stuff decomposing is really effective. Like this for me is one of the really good special effects. The sounds, the fact that you can tell that the glass is decomposing or fracturing and breaking mm. down rather than just smashing. Yes. You know, so I feel like they probably released panels in a controlled way. Yeah. Right? So rather than just allow them to fall from a height, it sort of has a sensory memory quality to it like i know that sound from somewhere so obviously the foley guy was doing something fun mm-hmm. but it wouldn't come to me do you have any thoughts no it's nicely done and i, I also think that the it's nicely edited that between shots they they remove more of the glass yeah. bits so that it is slowly sinking you know the amount is slowly decreasing yeah but they do it really well so it doesn't look like they've just taken a broom and shoveled out another quarter of it yeah and um, it should be known noted i know i'm going wild for the glass but there are actually alien bugs oh yes um, that need our attention so they are sliming and they are decomposing visibly in front of the camera and people are sort of touching them willy-nilly <laughs> and uh, get it on a bit of wood that'll do it and like the people yeah the sandbags because they brought the sandbags down for to deaden the vibrations because yeah. brain is just insistent that it was just the vibration from the drill that was making everything go wobble 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 yeah oh i should say as well i've missed a bit there where that vibration made the walls leak this amazing mud and it's that realization that actually underground tunnels in london are are actually tiled and yes. they're coming pushing through the tiles and it was a really odd kind of i don't know it's super effective it looked like it had scale even though we know it really doesn't mm. <laughs> we can't no, afford scale it's a nice shot and it reminded me as well that the director of this uh, Roy Wood baker had spent most of the 60s working in television mm-hmm. he didn't work on the quatermass serials but he worked on the avengers he worked on i think he did a couple of episodes of the saint but Earlier in the 1950s, he had directed A Night to Remember, the big film about the Titanic sinking. And I think that that was part of what got him this gig, yeah. is because it's a, it, was, it was a big film, but it, there's a lot of special effects and a lot of model work in that mm-hmm. that he directed really rather well. The effects in this, as I've said before, like they, they don't go for the big horror shocks, uh, but there is a lot of effects work yeah. in it, and a lot of it is like background and set and model shots like that one and some more later on I think that that is partly why he got the job doing it yeah while they're ferrying around with these slime covered bug things a 10 year old in his dad's suit jacket seems to do some pickling <laughs> did you notice that why yeah. is he such a tiny baby tiny boy. I, yeah, tiny I don't man. know what they were doing with yeah. that um, he's not short he just looks he looks yeah he looks yeah, like a boy 12 looks boyish so there's him and there's other sort of random camera people who have clearly been roted in to do a bit of background acting yeah while they everyone frantically tries to get information and data if you like out of the corpses of these aliens it's an interesting move to make them bug like mm-hmm. it's never explained really the other way so we're introduced to the idea that these look like gargoyles. Perhaps these have always been Satan. Perhaps these have always yeah. been... Even then, the connection's not quite made, but they are getting to grips with the idea that haunty place, aliens. Yeah, and they do like have like them. horns. They do have little sort of horn protuberances on the top there. They do, exactly. That's what they're saying. Horned demons, arthropods, mm-hmm. you know. Was this really a Martian? So they've already got this idea that these things come from Mars. I yes. can't remember how, but there was a... I don't think it's made it. You know, it could be from anywhere, except that this is the late 60s. So yes. the Mysterons are from Mars in Captain Scarlet. The Ice Warriors in Doctor Who are oh, from yeah. Mars. 
Mars's hip. <laughs> yeah, but it bothered me that it wasn't translated the other way, that perhaps the insects that we have on Earth that look like those giant ones ah. are the descendants of Martians and that what we have diagnosed to be like insect DNA is in fact the deteriorated stuff or like this, the things that were eating the aliens when they existed. That's a nice idea. That would have been lovely. Not yeah. to rewrite a film from 1967, but <laughs> I feel like it's it's a lot to be like, definitely, this is why the devil is here. It's all dead on for 1967. What would we do if the planet was environmentally doomed? Literally nothing. Yeah. Squabble as usual. Yeah, and, and then and then he says, oh, yes. And he agrees that that's exactly what would happen. He says, but what if we weren't men? <laughs> Which is nice, you know. Yeah. Like, what if we were aliens? What if we you know, wanted to influence? We wanted to live on, but we couldn't. Yeah. And it's because it's here as well as sort of sketching out this this idea yeah which correct me if i've got this sort of wrong or if i've explained it poorly but five million years ago mars is a dying planet yep so the martians although they cannot live on earth adapt like change the brains of the ape creatures living here uh in some way advance them and influence them right and put them back have something of themselves in humanity and this was one that didn't work. It went wrong and they crashed because yes. this was a marshland five million years ago and the ape skulls that they found outside were products of Martian experimentation. Yeah, pretty much. I've put ape mutations brought back as an experiment. Yes. Yeah. And and this is one that, that went wrong. And it's, so it's while they're working this out and then Roni is in, because we're back in Roni's lab with yeah. these deteriorating arthropods and Roni is looking through a book of cave paintings and he holds one up to yeah. to, to Quatermass. It looks naff all like these yeah. things. But the idea is there that, you know, this is something that is actually not just localised to Hobbes Lane, mm -hmm. but is a global... And also thing. our depiction of evil yeah. as it exists. Like the idea that all evil comes from this and we wouldn't have evil if yeah. it hadn't been for these. But also apparently anything else that is completely unexplained. You yeah. know, ghosts, ESP, telepathy, you know, anything else, anything you'd like evil and the devil are all to do with um, the Martians yeah I mean there's this boss character who's the boss of he's the one that sends Quatermass in and he's the one that sends Breen in oh yes um, but it's something in the ministry I don't think it's the war minister yet I think it's just like an undersecretary somebody in government it's someone who knows the prime minister basically yes. or has connections um, he is so much like the boss in Pink Panther the boss that's like permanently on the, on the edge of a nervous breakdown. Yes, um, Charles Dreyfus. Charles Dreyfus. He is the boss fella who's continually like on the edge of a, a meltdown, yeah. right, and always on the phone and going, "Close up, get me Yeah, the pit is spooky with no lights on. Oh yeah. Miss mm. Judd, <laughs> I've left. I've left some test tubes. What were you doing with test tubes? Well, sometimes Ms. she's Judd? sometimes she's doing science, and sometimes it depends what the plot. Sometimes she's making tea. It requires her to do. I know. Yes, I know. I Maybe she was making it. tea with the test tubes, which are heating up some Wouldn't water. Wouldn't shock or, or me with all that staring. Yeah. You know, so she she doesn't flirt. She just irritatingly stops a man who works at the tube station from going home, so that she can go and get these imaginary test tubes mm -hmm. and some papers and things that she desperately needed. We don't know what for. Because why wasn't everything taken out together? But whatever, it's fine. Well, um, no, I suppose, to be fair, they were trying to get the arthropods back to the lab as quickly as they could. Yes. Because they so were falling bad. apart around their eyes. Uh, which is, you know, it's a nice detail. They were exposed to the atmosphere, they immediately started to corrupt. Yeah. So it is plausible that they might have left some equipment down there 
that they turned out they needed. I don't know why they don't have enough test tubes in this incredibly well-appointed lab, where, by the way, Dr. Roney is also building, like, a colander that can see people's brains, yes, see people's dreams. can see people's dreams. You know, I don't know how that ties into his other work, but whatever. He's a Renaissance <laughs> man. He's a very clever man. But, yeah, so they, but even though they can build these brainwave readers, they don't have enough test tubes and have to send Miss Judd back down the tube station to get them. Well, put it this way. Miss Judd comes for the test tubes. She stays to pretty much watch a man die and do nothing. Um, So she stares into the middle distance like no one's told her what she's supposed to be seeing. And this poor workman that we met earlier... um, Oh, yes, Mr. Sladden. This is where Mr. Sladden has come back for his tools, his drill and whatnot. Yeah, and he's super casual about it. Obviously, he was about to be locked in. No one talks about that either. But that guy up there was literally locking the door when she interrupted him. So he probably would have died some mysterious way anyway. (laughs) But here he is being forced to dance by a magical wind. Yes. Kim Newman suggests that what he's doing here is like sort of mantis-like behaviour. That like some in somehow that like being taken over by the uh, by oh. the aliens is making him do that, which is a nice idea that I hadn't thought of. But it is slightly undermined by the fact that no other bugger does it when they get possessed or when they get this sort of memory thing coming over them. Yeah, I mean, to put the whole scene <laughs> into one thing, so you can see the strings to the point of where it looks like he's a man covered in strings. So basically, he's being overtaken by lots of objects that are flying around him within the pod when it starts vibrating. And they're all his tools and they're all flying on string. Uh, It's very cute, though. It's like 60s. um, We made things look like they were flying. (laughs) Yes, but, I mean, even by these... As I said, like, it was made in 1967. It was made in Britain. It was... uh, a prestige product as far as yeah. Hammer went, but yeah. it, it wasn't a huge budgeted thing, and I don't really think it's generally fair to sort of poke fun at effects for something that's, what, 54 years old. However... These are particularly bad. Even in 1967 it was poorly done, and you, if you're watching that in the cinema, you would think, I've seen this done better, you know. Well, no, especially because the calibre of the rest of the prop work was bloody great. Yeah, there's some, there's like, some really nice work, and that's just not... Some of that. That wasn't it. Not that. So he flops about in there for a while being frightened and then begins this kind of strange wind dance where lots of objects are also floating around him, but he's also wind, yeah, wind dancing. He terrorises a burger van and then dies (laughs) on a moving bed of flapjack. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's not dead. I mean, we do meet him again a little bit later on. Yes, at the vicar's house, which I love. But this is an interesting thing that I think is not sort of properly developed. You know, he's fleeing from this force, or whatever's coming out of the Mm -hmm. the capsule, and he goes straight to the church. And I don't know whether that's because he can hear the even song and he can hear, you know, he hears something, he heads towards it, or whether he is going for specifically a church, whether he's heading for... Exactly, whether he's heading from a theological viewpoint or whether it is just sort of blind panic and he's just trying to get away from the I didn't think he was thing. running I thought he was being pushed yeah. so I had no clue that he was running because he looks permanently worried he looks like how <laughs> people act when their shoes have come alive not in life you know but when their <laughs> shoes when their shoes have come alive and forced them to dance to death right yeah. he had that yeah. look his face and head were separate to the actions of the rest of his body mm-hmm. and I mean Mantis or no, the guy was actively twirling. That's, yeah. you know. No, I mean, for me, he overplays it, and it would be better if he hadn't been quite so. I really don't think he's running. Um, yeah. yeah. Whatever it is he's doing, I just wish he wasn't doing quite so much of it. <laughs> but 
Anyway, the vicar's house is beautiful. I love it. It's very, very pretty. And as you said at the time, it's probably an old hammer set from a more gothic... Yeah, it'll be a bit left over from, you know, the something of Dracula or the... (laughs) Frankenstein is a, a, a monster. Yeah, Frankenstein taught me math. Exactly. And the vicar, who's very sweet, deduces that Sladden has been in touch with spiritual evil. Yeah, and he certainly looks like he might have been at this point. Yeah, you know? and then he starts this sort of shouting, which is great. I love his overacting here. Like it, It's a really strong scene, and it feels a lot like it's got exorcist vibes without actual possession, even though I think he's been possessed. It's putting the harbinger in later in the film so often harbinger says don't go in that woods kids i'm a creepy guy i work at a gas station and i say them's be murder hills um and then they go cool bye and then go to the murder hills right, yeah. and die. yeah and you're sitting there going don't do don't go in there yeah and yeah. usually there's a shotgun usually they are the creepy thing you're running from and yeah. in this case yes run from the scary dancing man but it's interesting to put him there even though we've had all this build-up, he's the one that gives most of the story away with his visions. So he yeah. starts screaming about things like jumping, leaping. Leaping. Um, <laughs> leaping! Brown, dark, dark sky is actually really frightening. And it's a nice question as well. That It's quite a mess who asks what the sky, what colour is it? Is it blue? Because he's, he's a rocket scientist. Yes. He's thinking about space. He's thinking about other planets. Yeah. He's already on this train. And I think it's interesting as well that the scientists and the vicar, or scientist, I think it's only quite a mess, is there. Uh, from memory. Possibly Miss Judd is there too. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe she was still staring. Yeah. yeah. That They understand it, even though the vicar is coming at it from a theological point of view and quite a mess is coming at it from a science point of view. Because yeah. I think because of this like son of the man's thing I get from Keir's Quatermass here, is that they understand each other and they seem to be on the same page much more so than than the military and the and the government are because yeah, but that's because they're both open to a different version of the devil yeah, um, yeah, or a different version of evil and supposedly Breen is has the potential to be an evil. Yeah. He's never going to relate <laughs> because because while all this is going on, Breen and the government have decided that they do have an explanation yeah. for this and it isn't space aliens. Was it Russia? Where did it was, they go? Uh, it was Germany. It was uh, Germany the, again in, in yeah. the last in the last war. Green is convinced that this is a propaganda weapon that they sent over to try. Yes, to do to exactly confuse. this. Yes, exactly. And they planted the weird wasp babies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and you know, also apparently somehow managed to make a sort of material that's impervious to flame, and you can't <laughs> drill through, and sort of spontaneously melts. And... But then didn't bother using yeah. that for all their planes during the war. No. Yeah. No, but it, you know, uh, there's no real doubt in the audience's mind at this point that you know that the. Alien hypothesis is the correct one, I think. Mm-hmm. It's fair. But th- this is another point in which I would raise the 1950s origins of this story. Yeah. And the government and the military are really shown to be sort of quite venal and stupid here. <laughs> yes. And, and in 50s science fiction, especially the American type, which this is almost in some ways a reaction to, yeah. you would expect the military and the government to be right. And, right, okay. and people like Quatermass and Roney would be commies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I also find it interesting that the only times that they depict the police in this, they are frightened. Mm. And usually the police are stupid. Like, yes. there's a lot of things where, where cops are dumb. That's um, true. 
and this one no they're just frightened and they're kind of the closest to the truth yeah you know yeah they've figured they they know what's going on also Breen at this point when he comes back you know doing it, is, is tra- changed into his uh, sort of combat uniform yes he's dressed he's dressed as a fighting soldier whereas before he's in dress well it's because um, the little alien things now, frightened him yeah, yeah exactly so he puts on his uh, armour not literally but almost <laughs> yeah, yeah his war paint yeah exactly um Dormant memories within us all is bandied about, right? So mm. the idea is that this man, he's, this man seems to have gone mad, the workman, but it's they're talking about the idea of a dormant memory within all of us, an ancient and diabolic vision of life on Mars from five million years ago is what they suspect that this this man is seeing. Yeah. But also this is where Quatermass starts to equate things like Equator mass um, <laughs> starts to equate things like poltergeist, second sight, witchcraft, all aliens. You name it, anything yeah. you'd like. It comes from from Mars. Yes, we're the Martians now. I don't know yes. why he says that. Uh, he doesn't. That's um, Miss Judd. It's her line. Oh no! She accidentally <laughs> said something, and I quoted it. Fine. We're um, the Martians now. Stairs. Super. If you haven't seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Go forth and stream it because it's perfect. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, and also and we'll because there's an episode where the only female character in the whole thing, um, Liz, suddenly gets telekinetic powers and it causes chaos on the show. Um, everything obviously uh, excessively string powered. And it's just PMT. Yeah. It's just PMT the whole time. It's brilliant. Please watch. But this whole scene hugely reminded me of that, with different various objects just floating. Yeah. However, we are going to plug our madman into the dream machine. Yes. And have a look at what he's seeing, right? Well, not not Sladden. He's uh, he's too far gone, poor fellow. But oh, are we looking at the idea is to to Ms. do it again because they're going to send quite they send quite a mess in with the with the dream machine to to oh, try. Oh, but and... he can't do it. No, but that's the plan. Yeah, and, and then, then she does it because she she, she, she's down there as well because she's take I don't know in case he wants a cup of tea while he's doing. <laughs> oh, wait, she goes down with the equipment, but it's not her working it. It's, it's, they, they send down the twelve-year-old boy to work the machine with the headphones on and all the tape yeah. and everything. So she's there as well, and she can see the. You're thing. right. You're right. You're and this is an idea that I wondered if they were going to explore the the, the fact that she seems to be the most receptive to this stuff you did just remind me that there were a couple of times where she thought she'd seen something mm-hmm. out the corner of her eye and stuff so yes yeah, she is the more susceptible out of all of them she's also called to it you know she can hear them or she yes. can see them at one point whereas poor Quatermass is just shaking and he's in yeah. the ship just unable to do it yeah yeah he's certainly brave enough he's certainly oh, down he's there fine. And, he, and he experiences all of the the flying business yeah. the old the old uh, Garth Marenghi stuff on strings wobbling around, but he's not getting anything from the colander on his head. Miss Judd is finally called into some sort of action, and it's just to have a susceptible brain. Yeah, but, you know, after what we've seen it do to Sladden, who is you know, was no fool, and no. when we last see him sort of whimpering in a church, uh, Quatermass has no qualms about putting yeah. the colander on her head to record her. I mean, <laughs> I suppose it's because he has, they, they have a job to do, they're there for a point because they say, we've worked this out, but it's not like we can just go and see the minister yes. and say, it's space aliens from five million yeah. years ago, you know, they need something else. So they decide 
that they're going to use Roni's convenient brain measuring thing so that you know so that they have some proof and Quatermass is a scientist he is driven in his way he isn't bombastic he isn't sort of a military man mm-hmm. but he is the sort of person who would recognize that necessity even if it means endangering somebody he likes you know he gets on with um miss judd thank you you know they do seem to have a decent rapport as much as she has with anybody she has very little to do as we've said multiple times but he doesn't think twice about endangering her like this because he knows they need to get this done yeah and i will say like the video that they show is absolutely beautiful and to me it's my favorite thing in the film it's like a terrifying russian stop motion animation i think it's really nice yeah. it gets a little bit of flack for not being very really? convincing yeah but i think it's it looks a little bit like a dream it looks a little bit like a nightmare it looks like uh, it's stylized rather than yeah. it's supposed to be like a documentary re- recreation of well i had it as a little bit of the um the French and Saunders sketch of how they filmed Lord of the Rings crowd scenes and they just had a load of stick figures of ants that they blew over with a hairdryer. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's it's great. But I think the black and white graininess of it in a colour film like that is really... And the fact that it wasn't clear, it, I don't know, mm. it's very frightening. And there's a lot of shots of these bug things looming over the camera and lots of like you can tell that they are at war you yeah. know and all these things you shouldn't be able to communicate on a small thing i think it's a nice bit of animation i'm sad that people went to town on it oh, i'm glad you like it i've always been fond of it and uh mm. yes it doesn't impress the the watching boffins though <laughs> although it does seem slightly odd to think that it would that they would watch this and go oh you you're right quite a mess <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yes that's true um so yes, Breen decides this is just another strange Germany trick. Yeah, yeah, and that also that because it was from Miss Judd that she, a woman, was yeah. having has an imagination and just imagined the whole thing. She saw the alien thing. She put two and two together. She's now created an entire planet yeah. in her mind brain yeah, where they exactly. were at war. They've been talking about it. I do think I'm going to just bring up here now that Roni and Quatermass, by putting their equipment together, because Quatermass and the British Rocket Group have got some kind of yep. recording technology that they, they stick onto Roni's brain colander, everybody accepts that they've successfully recorded somebody's dream, recorded somebody's memory, yeah. like, taken a visual image out of somebody's head. And nobody gives a damn. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody's the least bit interested or impressed by that. They just no. think you've just recorded the silly dreams of a silly woman. <laughs> Which is, always yeah. strikes me. The very burned man. Oh yeah. This is where the government are still working on the German propaganda weapon yeah. hypothesis. So there's still people, electricians, workmen, yep. crawling all over this extremely dangerous capsule thing. Yeah. Okay, so the very burned man is quite nicely graphically burned. It's good special effects. Like, yeah. it, it works. You can tell he's been burned and he's screaming. It's coming alive and it's glowing. We don't see that, but but Miss Judd does. And she says yes. that. She looks over to it. Later on, we do see that happening, but that's not evident from what from what we can see. But it's just another one of those things where, as you say, subtly, Miss yeah. Judd is seems to be more cued into this stuff than everybody else. Well, they then kind of whack out one of my favourite horror tropes that's an unsung hero of the horror genre, I think, and that is broken TV. I feel hmm. like there's nothing more frightening than in the to them, to a particular type of horror filmmaker, nothing seems to be more frightening than the fact that the TV goes a bit funny and then breaks. 
<laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a classic. Yeah. This is this when is this when we get the shot of the pub as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, it's in the pub and they're trying to make it work. Yeah. And then it just does the you know a bit of white noise and then just turns off and they're like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> which is always great. Um, Quite a mess. It's, exceptionally good at looking panicked and there's a stampede mm-hmm. of humans that really look like animals there's somebody pinned it's actually quite nasty yes like, one of the one of the civil servants that we meet earlier in the minister's office gets crushed underneath a yeah. tv thing or something yeah because people are initially panicked by the death of the burnt man right yeah. which is electrocution which is a very um as far as we can tell or it appears to be yeah it's quite gruesome but it's gruesome but it's a very terrestrial way yeah. to die you know this this initially spooks people but then of course when the thing starts to glow <laughs> yeah then the whole ship starts to glow and we actually see it it's got veins as well which is quite a nice touch it's another one of those sort of ideas that it, a little bit of one of those organic yeah it was aspects. a ship they, it suggested at one point that perhaps it's a ship steered by thought or steered mm. by being connected which i've always quite liked it's um yeah oh, aquila Oh yes, Aquila has that vibe for me. Slimy, yeah. There's a there's a reference that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> Before this happens, we get a nice, quite a mess. Turns up unbidden to the press conference and has quite a stand-up row with Bream, which is quite nice. Oh yes, I, I forgot mean, about that. But that's why I've put he gives good panic because yeah. he gets steadily more irate. It's an impassioned attempt to save people because he's really mm. realizes the danger that they don't. He just because he gets so worked up. Well, he makes them stampede. Yeah, I know it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not just him. Obviously, there is stuff going the on. Glowing, but, yeah. But he certainly doesn't help matters. No. He does also find Dr. Roney in that time, and they go into another side room to panic together for a while. Yes. What I love is that Roney just looks like this is just a normal... Like, he he walks in in the same way that he lumbers and walks in everywhere. So it just looks like there's a kind of mild inconvenience of some people in his hallway. And then falls into his own room like, oh, hello. And then that poor chestnut man. There's a chestnut man. Unnecessarily uh, amount of screen time for chestnut man rolling around in his own hot coals. Yes. I feel like there must have been another subplot or something that got cut out but they loved the fact that he was it's it's quite a nice shot the camera's down low no and it's the, lovely the chestnuts come towards the camera but you, yeah but then we get the chestnuts from another angle yeah uh, yeah no it you're right it's it like strikes... the tragedy of wasted chestnuts <laughs> they're like look at it look what you've done you're stampeding hordes yeah yeah it's it is it's a nice shot it doesn't need to be there at all nope it doesn't even really do much for the pacing or the the film <laughs> no there's plenty of other things you could cut because it's nice to cut to a thing outside. Yep. Then you see the people streaming out, but it doesn't quite do that either. I'm not not sure. I'm not sure what's going on there. It's nice to see all of structure just crumbling and getting destroyed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some some decent model work in, in yeah. some miniatures work. Um, actually, I suppose also we get a few shots throughout of the tube station entrance yeah are done on a on a back lot here they were in um mgm studios oh, okay. uh, normally they would they would have normally have been in bray but uh where hammer were based at the time i think but it was booked up but then this <laughs> place was empty so they moved over here and they do take advantage of having a decent back lot london street yes set that makes that sense. we get a couple of swooping shots of yeah and because it is because it's back lock, because it's built outside, it means buildings go all the way up and you can have a bit... Of, there's a couple of crane shots. Yes. I think, I think actually the very beginning, when we follow the policeman yeah, down the, the road... Yeah, the policeman is from the top. They're yeah. taking advantage of having decent... sort of decent-sized standing 
back little sense, which yeah. is nice. Shot there. Greater mass in the stampede is me on the tube any time. <laughs> but Breen does not look well. And I put is Breen one of them now because I wasn't sure where it was going. But we do get this kind of Martian wasteland looking London. Like it, mm. it is really nice. Those um the model work there is really sweet as we watch it all just absolutely fall apart. But then Breen Then Breen has his moment, I think. His moment. Yeah, where he doesn't he looks beyond not well. Oh, yeah, that's yes, because everybody leaves the yeah. understandably Everybody gets out of the tube station, yeah. apart from our heroes, because as you say, Roni and Roni and Quatermass are off in a corner of the yeah. station somewhere. But Breen is just standing at the at the head of the pit, mm-hmm. transfixed, and he doesn't move. And everybody else gets out, apart from him. And then they say, "Is there anybody else down there?" And we cut to him. And he just is. What's he on his knees? He and just sort burns. of yeah. He just sort of melts and collapses forward. It's a it's a less gory version of that shot from Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark that you alluded to earlier. Yeah, it's quite a nice shot, but I don't know what the justification is for his fate. I don't know why that happens to him. No, uh, because no it seems like he would be affected by the only the only thing I wonder if is he's so inflexible if it's just sort of snapped his mind. But then why has it burnt his face like that? Because it it looked like the same thing. This is why I believe that that other guy was being controlled. Because I think Mm -hmm. that they can control people to do what they need them to do if they're they're under threat in the ship. Yes, certainly. And we do see this later on. Yeah, and they were drawing him in towards him. Mm -hmm. But then I don't understand how or why he became burned when he wasn't touching the ship and didn't really have any significance to them. Other than he was the driving force in... Uh, harming the ship in some way um, yeah. he was like the one with the main intent to get rid of it yeah and well I, I wondered if that's a good point <laughs> yeah so that's a good point I hadn't thought of because I wondered whether it's his conscience because he realises at the end that he's made a terrible mistake brought everybody down here and then this has happened and yeah. this is all on him well luckily guilt can't actually and he, melt your face he, yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't quite work. There must be, yeah, it must be a, a force working upon him. But um, it's a nice, it's an arresting shot. Yes, and it's one that I want on the um, on the yes. gram at some point or after the after the episode. If we, uh, it's it's one of my favourite effects shots in the film. Actually, right. it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's one of the few moments of like real shock effect work yes. like that. Because as I say, like we get people describing the fact that they can see the Martians running everywhere. You know. Quite a mess. Says it just wasn't London anymore. You know, everybody. The implication is that everybody's reliving this stored sto- memory. This stored memory, mm. and it there must have been again. There must have been the idea. There must have perhaps somebody must have considered superimposing some Martian yep. landscape over the scene. But we don't. We don't get to see what's going on. We do, we see the effects of it. Yep. But we don't see through the eyes of the characters. We don't see anybody's. We don't see what anybody's seeing in their mind until devil apparition in the sky that's really nice it's isn't it? bloody amazing yes so there's some strange scientific faux science justification for why iron might be the best weapon to use against this thing but for a while we get amazing shots of it just being above the city and looming and huge and it looks like a kind of projection on the city but then you find out that it's a real thing. Well, I mean, it is. I, my, my assumption is that it is a projection of. I don't think it's meant to be a solid thing. I thought it was supposed to be like a just a looming. 
Yeah, but then they but then mess. they kill it with iron. Well, yeah, so but it, that you but can't the, do that with a. Well, it, it conducts it, and again, it's Roni that comes up with this idea, mm-hmm. uh, because Roni is unaffected by this yeah. madness business for some reason. It's yeah. never really quite explained why that is. Uh, Quatermass himself, he would expect to be the hero, and you know, is the title character after yeah. all, is affected by the Martian. Madness, the the effects of the thing, whatever. Yeah. But Roni isn't, and his explanation is is like many things, and like what a lot of the film is doing, and what the the work that they're doing is, it's it's a melding of the scientific. Yeah. That you want to earth. There's an enormous charge in the air, and if you earth it, uh, you'll dissipate okay. it, which is the science side yeah. of it, and also this memory, this idea, this folk tale that iron is the devil's enemy. Yes. Yes. Um, and the controlled mass of Londoners that are under the spell of this thing, you see quite a nice sequence where they sort of chase down a desperate-looking fellow. <laughs> because a lot of the time, a lot of the destruction and stuff and the and the pain we just hear because yeah. we're back in the pub with um, Roni and Quatermass. Because I wondered when when we went to the pub before, I wondered why we had this extra set. Other yeah. than the fact that it's a Hammer film, so you need a pub in there, there's, there's lots of them. But it turns out it's, they've introduced the set there earlier with the telly, as well as you get that nice moment of the telly going wrong. It's yeah. also to give a set for Roni and Quatermass to have a confrontation later yes. on. And Quatermass says to Roni, I wanted to kill you. I was going to kill you. I could have killed you without even flexing a muscle because you were different. You had to be killed. So the idea is that the the Martians are forcing the extermination of those who aren't under yes, their spell. got you. So Rony extrapolates from that that this scrap of knowledge is what the sort of thing that they're trying to eradicate, eradicate which is a push. But turns out, luckily, well, I say for him, I mean, he does end up dead, but turns out, luckily for the human race, <laughs> turns out to be correct. Yeah, um, which is still a better way to kill a load of aliens than the common cold or water. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, Miss Judd and the exploding fire hydrants... So yes, Miss Judd is also here. <laughs> Question. Mm. Fire hydrants. Yeah. UK? Oh yeah. Not usually the sort of big red ones. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. They do they do exist. That's an interesting good point. <laughs> you sound so disappointed in my good point that time. <laughs> but yes, I imagine there was something else going on with that because it's weird that they're red. Yeah. Yeah, that is a yeah, good point. Yeah. Plus, artistic wrestling and head trauma. Artistic wrestling? <laughs> What's that in reference to? To Miss Judd and, I believe, Quatermass doing some serious oh, yes. rollabout. Yeah, and then he punches her out. He punches her in the head. But... Because <laughs> she's frantically trying to get to the aliens, right? She's trying to... They're drawing her in. Yes, I wondered as well, watching it this time, something that struck me is, is she trying to stop Roni? Is she trying to yes, stop... Yes, I wondered, yeah. Um, you know, it, because the intelligence, you know, the Martian influence, whatever you call it, yeah. clearly has some self-preservation yeah. thing going on. We see this all the way through with, it, you know, how the ship behaves and when it opens up and how it opens up. Yeah. And, and the fact that, as you say, that it seems to be able to cause people damage and pain, but not... Not all the time, just sometimes. <laughs> True. I so mean, there's some kind of a self-preservation thing working there. But yeah, my feeling for the apparition in the in the sky so good. is that it is some kind of like large gaseous cloud or okay. something. But that can be, if you 
put the massive iron of the crane right into it, you will drain the, the power down. That makes sense. I mean, it, it doesn't really make sense, but it makes just enough sense to work yeah. for the, for yeah, the climax set, of the set film, the, set it up. They've set the premise up, that makes sense. Roni's more than keen and climbs over the flames of hell. That's fun. He also never seems distressed at any point in the film, which I, I really like. He's a bit antsy when people try to take away his toys. But apart from that, he's sort of just... Yeah. He just knows what needs to be done and does it, which is an admirable trait in a yes. protagonist. No, that's a good point. He does. He seems that his most like worked up and anxious when all the merch come in they think they're yeah. going to mess up his dig site yeah and he's quite happy to like scrabble into as far as they know it's a bomb but you know at the very yeah. beginning when they find this skull and they go oh, it's the most well-preserved yeah one that we found yeah. yeah he's quite happy to just sort of kneel down and scoop it out of this bomb casing thing even though for <laughs> yeah. all we know at this point it's an unexploded bomb but he's got work to do yeah. and he's uh he's going to do it the looming alien face and alien death are both absolutely amazing. Bye bye, Roni. Mm-hmm. Uh, he exploded. He exploded. But I do like his. He looks the alien thing in the eye yes. as he swings in. It made me think it's a very sort of British heroism thing. <laughs> yes, you're right. You know, it, yes. it feels like a war movie, like a World War II heroic sacrifice idea. Yeah, totally. Um, well, also. Quatermass's response to that, which is just a kind of grimace, but watching. Yeah. You know, he's also facing the death of his colleague, yeah. or the death of his nearly I mean, friend. they were almost friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, amazing pyrotechnic team, like next level. The amount of things that were on fire in the background. <laughs> yes. While all this is happening, it's just like, are you okay? Like, it, was this just a filmed fire? <laughs> and then you were like, ah, we'll keep it in. Yeah, you do, you do worry about the, the health and safety <laughs> on on set. Um, so I want to say here. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you agree that we're at the end? This is that's the end of the film. That's I mean, I have I have a film. few things to talk about about the ending, but we are there. Right, I genuinely love, and it's one of the things that I remembered because I only saw it for the first time probably last year. I love that this film, and I remember that this film ends with a credit length pant and stare competition, while Quatermass and Miss No Taste process what's just happened. Yeah. So Miss Judd. And Quatermass, gazing and panting, not at anything or <laughs> or anywhere, just recovering. And it's actually quite yeah. nice. And I wish more horror films did that. Almost, yeah, yeah. Where you get a bit of time to go like, what was, what was that? <laughs> oh, they look spent as well. Yeah, they look knackered. Yeah, well, no. uh, the, the serial, again, with thanks to Kim Newman, points out that the serial finishes with a speech from Quatermass mm-hmm. on on television like in in okay. in universe on television memorializing his friend Roni. Dr Roni right mm-hmm. who who gave his life in the serial they are friends they know each other they've, ah, they've okay. met before yeah the serial cuts from Roni's death uh, in, to quote a mess in the TV studio delivering an address to the world, which encapsulates the author's message, right? Mm-hmm. Quote, Matthew Roney was a brave man and a friend. Much more, for it is with his kind that hope lies, for they have outgrown the Martian in us. If another of these things should ever be found, we are armed with the knowledge, but we also have knowledge of ourselves and of the ancient destructive urges in us that grow more deadly as our populations increase and approach in size and complexity those of ancient Mars. Every war crisis, witch hunt, race riot and purge is a reminder and a warning. We are the Martians. 
If we cannot control the inheritance within us, this will be their second dead planet. Wow. All right. All right. Which it's a good speech. Yeah. It is a distillation of a, what I feel like is Nigel Neal trying to get something across. Yeah. And they could have ended with something like that in yeah. the film, but they they did they ended instead on this much more downbeat. Yeah, realistic. Stock taking, if you'd like. Yeah, it's a looped bit of film of them just standing there for the whole credits while the music plays out over the credits. And it's not triumphant music. No. One of the things that I wanted to talk about about the ending there Mm. is why, other than the fact that it kills him, so it's Dr. Roney who is immune, Mm -hmm. but why is it Dr. Roney who's immune rather than the titular character who you think is is the hero. I mean, he's not. As I, I think I said, like the original serial does include a pit. I mean, I realise the pit is also the pit of hell. Yeah. But like the, in the television adaptation, they find the capsule while they're digging out foundations for a new build. Yeah. So it is a an actual pit that they're in. Ah, uh, um, yeah, you know, okay, that makes in sense. In the the action for this, they transpose into a, a tube station. Uh, really, instead of being called Quatermass in the Pit, it should be called Roni and the Tube Station, but it isn't. Not um, as catchy. No, it doesn't have the name recognition thing. And of course, for a market where they don't have name recognition, they called it Five Million Years to Earth, not Dr. Roni and the Tube Station. <laughs> but I just wondered, because I have, I, and I'm afraid I don't have like a, an answer for this, but sort of what is it? Is there anything about Roni's character? Or is there anything about Quatermass's character that would suggest why some people are immune and some people aren't? That you have that he, that Roni doesn't. I mean, if we look, again, if we think about it and we look at the speech from the television series, it's a suggestion mm. that perhaps Roni is more refined, more advanced, smarter, or something. Well, no, it better. wasn't about smarter. It's no. it's the idea that it's a random evolutionary gene thing. You know, mm-hmm. sadly, it's a bit of a deus ex machina that yeah. there will be one in your group that doesn't get affected by yeah. them or there'll be some sort of plague and that one person won't be affected and can go and assist everybody else. Looking at you, blindness, Julianne Moore. Yes. But I suspect that if they'd made Quatermass the one that was immune, it would have stopped it dead in its tracks. It's almost like... Stopped what dead in its tracks? Um, so. Any storyline. Right because he's aware enough and involved enough with what's happening to know that he's the key to it all and to do self-preservation. Whereas yes, good point. Roni is just accepting of all of this stuff and, and has a different idea of what to do that Quatermass wouldn't have done. Like kill mm-hmm. himself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sacrifice himself. But uh, Yeah, I know, yeah. but you know what I mean. But yeah. I think as well, Roni, as I just said to you, was only stressed when his toys were taken away. He's yeah. a strange, bumbly man. <laughs> and he's already eccentric. And I yes. think he's extra eccentric because he's the only one genuinely not thinking of anyone's safety. Yeah. At all. <laughs> <laughs> Which, in a one respect, is he isn't feeling fear. Yeah. But in another respect, he's also not feeling anger. Yeah. So every other character displays extreme anger. And the most yeah. he does is like, can you put that down and get out? Yeah. Yeah. No, and we see Quatermass not quite have a meltdown, but we see him getting overwrought in <laughs> yeah. the tube station. He's clearly an emotional. He's a very clever and and he's driven and yeah. you know he's all those the good things. But what he isn't is 
uh, like emotionless analytical cold you know and, and Rooney is more that way I suppose yeah, yeah. Um, it just yeah it just struck me as odd this time that how shoehorned um, yeah Quatermass is into the movie because I say he doesn't really have any business being there especially no um, but also how peripherally is to the ending I mean his contribution is he punches out a woman I mean, a woman who possibly was going to try and stop Dr. Rooney, but still, you know. Yeah. Rooney is able to sort of talk Quatermass down and, to, you know, to get him to hold on to his humanity or whatever it is, the the the, the, oh, the yes. side of him that isn't... An alien. A, an alien. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Strange, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and the last thing that I wanted to, to mention, to talk mm. about, that I never got to, you know, that didn't come up but I think is interesting, is about Hobb and about Hobbs and there's another thing I picked up from Kim Newman's book via well from uh, Grail Marcus who apparently covers this in his book Lipstick Traces mentions quite a mess in the pit and his theory that the Martian plan mm. was for humanity to destroy itself like the Martians destroyed themselves and they wanted to leave their mark in that way also suggested that the Hobb in Hobbes Lane, as well as yeah. recalling the devil, also recalls Thomas Hobbes, who wrote Leviathan, the um, political philosopher, mm. because of his idea that um, the mechanistic understanding of human beings and their passions, right, from from Wikipedia that everybody <laughs> uses, that in, in the state of nature, without government, the state of, of humans without government would be a war of all against all, bellum omnium contra omnes, which is sort of the situation that the, the yes. Martian sort of race memory control seems yeah. to bring about the the problem with this I because I, I read that and I thought oh, that's really interesting and that's really cool and it is but the problem that comes about is that the only reason it's not bellum omnia contra omnes it, the point is not for total war the point is for total obedience so you you once you've wiped out those who disagree with you you've got a fairly stable society which is okay. not what Hobbes is saying, I believe. Well, I have a theory as to why they might have planted those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest it's... They have no vengeance to seek on humanity and on the Earth. Mm -hmm. They just don't. There'd, there'd be no reason. They've basically had a scout around and been like, oh, there's some life. I just yeah. see them as locusts. So they are mm. just taking the resources that they can. They're very clever locusts. But then there's no thought for, like they get to feel the pain we felt it's more like when people have dreams of putting all of their consciousness into a robot um so that they can live forever yeah uh, it's the fear of overpopulation and over farming looking at you 2021 current <laughs> earth that makes them go well how do we get immortality we can breed it into these kind of pig ape yeah. creatures and hopefully they will be able to continue the work that we were doing in some way, even if that work we were doing is destroying our planet, just <laughs> yes. by living on but it. Yes, you know, I don't something think it's malicious. Us, something of them survives yeah. in us, which is better than nothing, because they are unambiguously dead, I suppose. Yeah. That is a, another point, you know. And there may have been the temptation when you get that scene of the pod opening and, you know, yeah. the, the aliens are revealed. I think because the glass-like material starts to decompose immediately, one of them sort of twitches a little bit as it sort of starts yeah. to fall. And there must have been... The temptation to sort of play, you could have played on that, of like, oh, you know, are they coming alive? Yeah. But they are very quick, and Quatermass is very quick to 
they say it smells like, I think, rotting fish, I yeah. think is the smell that they come through. It's like the space aliens are dead and have been dead for millions of years. Yeah. You know, whatever is happening is something that was in the, the capsule is alive, if anything, you know, but it's not, the threat is, the, is humans, the threat is humanity, the threat is not really from space. The thing no. that will do your damage are the other people around you. Yeah, the tube. Yeah, dangerous down there. Mm. This isn't a scary film. Like, I know I'm a horror fan. Um, I am a horror fan. And I can tell you with good authority that this isn't actually frightening. So if you are, as Ben mentioned, a mega scaredy cat, this one is sort of 90% safe, not going to give you nightmares. Might not do you so much good if you are frightened of bugs. But, you know. Yeah. But no, it's a science fiction film with sort of horror. It has horror cinema elements to it yeah. but they're not yeah weirdly actually neil nigel neil has form in both because as well as writing the quater mass serials he did an adaptation of 1984 for um mm. the bbc in the 50s with peter cushing in the lead role but after this in the years after this he did a couple of actual proper horror things which is surprisingly he he did the adaptation of the woman in black for the television mm-hmm. in the late 80s and he wrote the script for halloween 3 season of the witch <laughs> although he disliked the film so much he had his name taken off it but it is basically his script wow so he um he moved into more um, unambiguous sort of horror yeah. scripting after this but this is the script is from 1964 so it's from earlier in his career when oh. he was not doing when he was not doing horror I think that's us just about done. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to talk to us or ask us any questions, the email address is hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com or you can message us on Instagram at haunted underscore picture underscore palace. The next one, if you want to watch it in advance so you can listen along, uh, is Ginger Snaps from the year 2000, everyone's favourite emo werewolf lady. Um <laughs> It's a bit sexy and it's a bit terrible, so it's going to be a funny one, that one. A bit lighter. (laughs) It's quite a formative journey. (laughs) There's a lot going on. It's available to stream on Amazon Prime, maybe a fancier version of Amazon Prime, but it's still there. I think you might have to rent it, or you you can get it for a small fee. Yeah, or Shudder. They still have a free trial on the go if you want to take advantage of that. But yes, Ginger Snaps for next time if you feel like watching along. And yeah, the last thing is just to say, if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe. Please tell other people about it so that more people can find us. And if you have any suggestions of films you'd like to see next season, give us a shout. Please. Yes, please do. And thank you for listening, those of you who have. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Oh, bye. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. I just got distracted because I've just written so poorly dressed. Well, you know, I mean, people will be listening to this in decades to come when Corona is a distant memory. <laughs> um, what was I f***ing talking about? <laughs> um, Can you remember the theme? Yes, I'm not going to sing it. Please. Though. It's got that little bit of Latin chanting at the beginning. Yeah, well then what? Uh, and, then, and then one of the... I'm, I'm going to cut this out, don't do, worry. Do, uh, you know, yeah. and then someone goes like Aquila, and then like some power chords come in. It's like bah, bah, bah. goes like that. You can put that at the end. People will love that.